Welcome to the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. We're talking about the Dream and Promise Act, the most expansive version of the Dream Act yet, and definitely the one facing the most polarizing political atmosphere. So the Dream Act, or Development Relief and Education for Alien Minors Act, is a federal legislative proposal that would help young immigrants acquire temporary residency in their communities, and after further requirements, a pathway to citizenship. This might sound familiar to some of our listeners because the first DREAM Act was actually proposed back in 2001. It's been reintroduced and failed to pass several times, but this time around, things may be different. My name is Sarah Betancourt of Commonwealth, and I'm joined by UMass Boston student and dreamer, Stephanie Pineda. Hello. And we are also joined by co-founder of the Massachusetts TPS Committee and now the National TPS Alliance Coordinator, Jose Palma. Hi, Sara. So we'll explain what those acronyms mean in a couple of minutes, DACA, DREAMer, TPS. Um, So before we launch into the discussion about what this new law proposed by Speaker Pelosi last week and other congresswomen is, why don't we talk a little bit about what TPS and being a DREAMer and a DACA recipient is? Stephanie, would you mind walking us through what being a DREAMer and having DACA is? Uh, I mean, I did not find out what my status was or that I even what a status was until my senior year of high school. Uh, but now I know what being a dreamer is or a DACA recipient. Well, it's very frustrating and it's kind of li- uh, living my life day by day. Um, I think it also has given me the opportunity to at least be able to go to school. And so... What is DACA exactly, and do you know a little bit, or can you explain a little bit about how it came to be? Um, I know it was a policy under President Obama around 2012. How do people get DACA, and what kind of protected status does it provide for you? Uh, You're supposed to have been in the country. um, You're supposed to be under 16, I believe, uh, from the time you came in the country, which is supposed to be in 2007. Uh, and in order to apply, you must be in school, working, and not have left the country. Um, the application is $500. And so, yeah, so they check. Um, it's a criminal um, criminal background check uh, before they approve you, and the protection lasts for two years. Mm-hmm. So I currently, um, I think I'm down one year, so I think I have a year left. Uh, and it provides me with a work permit, so I'm able to work. And then I also am able to get in-state tuition. Okay. And what was your country of origin, and I guess what kind of protected status or benefits are there for DACA? Um, So uh, I come from El Salvador, and I think the protections there are, it's, again, you're able to work, you're able to go to school. And I first applied to it in, in 2016. And so every couple of years, do you have to pay the $500 fee again and reapply? Yeah, so a couple of months before um, your work permit card expires, you're supposed to go through the application process all over again and again pay the fee of $500. And so being a DACA recipient and a dreamer, are those pretty much the same thing Um, or just like the two words that describe the same kind of person? I think there are two words that describe the same type of person. Um, A DACA recipient, I feel like it's my status, but then I feel like dreamer is kind of defines, even though I feel like there should be a different, maybe a different way of defining us soon, but I think that a dreamer is like 
I feel like it defines more of what we're trying to do, which is accomplish our dreams and accomplish what we came here to do. And so, Jose, can you walk us through what TPS is, Temporary Protected Status? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, thank you for inviting me to be here. And I think, you know, when I hear the conversation about Dream Act and DACA, I can relate to that because uh, when I actually started organizing for the Dream Act uh, in 2009, uh, but today I, I will talk about TPS. Temporary Protective Status is a program that is given to people that come from countries that suffer natural disaster or are in the middle of a civil war or is not safe for people that are living in the U.S. to go back to those countries. So, um, you know, for example, people from Honduras and Nicaragua were given TPS during the Hurricane Mitch destroyed those countries. So the U.S., uh, the United States responded by giving Nicaraguans and Hondurians back in 1998 uh, temporary protective status. Eventually, people from El Salvador got TPS when El Salvador was destroyed by a big uh, earthquake. So j just to give you some example, those uh, people that are protected by TPS, which myself is protected by TPS, have been living in the country for more than the last 20 years. Many, many, probably for 25, 30 years, uh, they have been here in the United States. So that's TPS, and that's what um, people have been protected with, and now we are all at risk of losing uh, the immigration protection and eventually becoming undocumented. And so what does it mean to have D TPS and benefit from it? Um, does it mean you won't be deported, or what exactly is it? Yeah, that's exactly what TPS does. Uh, TPS protects you from... Uh, from deportation and also allow you to get a work authorization and be able to work uh, here in the United States. Um, also bring you some other responsibilities like, you know, you have to do your taxes, you have to go into background check every year and a half when you are renewing TPS, but also is, a, is an opportunity for many of us to be able to get a driver license, to get a social security, and also for some of us that are really looking forward to achieve our dreams when it comes to higher education, also to go to college, even though uh, we don't qualify for any loans or things like that, but at least allow you to pay uh, the in-state tuition. So it's a, it's a, I, as I will call it, it's a, a TPS is something that opened the door to many opportunities. Even though there are some restrictions, for example, we can travel abroad, we have to be in the United States, we have to pay for the renewal process every year and a half, which is about $485 every year and a half. You have to go through background checks every year and a half. So really, when we talk about people with TPS, are people that have been kind of like complying with all the requirements in order to keep that, uh, you know, that protection. And so I know you were recently in Washington, D.C. for uh, some sort of advocacy for this new Dream and Promise Act that was just proposed on March 12th and introduced to the House by Speaker Pelosi and other congresswomen. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience in advocacy whenever you were down there and what you were doing? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, a few days before the legislation was introduced, I, uh, I actually testify in front of the Judiciary Committee um, and uh, providing some reasons why TPS should be continued, and not only continue, why TPS should be transformed into permanent residency. So I was able to chair to share my story in front of the Judiciary Committee and also answer some questions uh, they had to kind of like understand who the TPS community is, what the TPS community is doing here in the United States, and why 
we should be given the opportunity to apply for permanent residence. Mm-hmm. So it was quite a, a uh, experience. It was a big responsibility because uh, I was the privileged one to be in, in front of the uh, Congress people, but I was also very clear that I was representing close to 450,000 families across the country. And not only people from El Salvador, but also people from Nicaragua, Honduras, Nepal, Haiti, because at the end of the day, we are a family that are at risk of losing our immigration status. And it was a big responsibility for me to make sure those stories were brought to that chamber. All right. Um, So... Stephanie, you had your own D.C. experience recently as a guest of Congresswoman Ayanna Presley at the State of the Union. What was that like for you, and did you have any similar, uh, I guess, experiences and feelings of representation that Jose brought to the table a couple minutes ago? Uh, I mean, with the Congresswoman, I felt, to say, protected, like, under her wing, to say like that when I was over there, because she has the same mindset that I do, which... And then uh, a mindset to protect me and my family. So throughout the day, we went to different press conferences, and they asked me questions. And then I maintained a positivity for what was going to happen during the State of the Union speech. And then she was able to give me hope and to also uh, reaffirm that my story mattered, that I matter, that my family matters. And um, unfortunately, obviously, the speech wasn't favorable to me or to my family, but I felt like just being there, like just representing DACA recipients, representing my family as well, was enough for me to to just at least make, like say something. So I've said before, like I didn't have to say anything in order to that night make a change, to say I'm here, I matter. And the fact that I'm here means a lot, that I'm at the State of the Union, that a dreamer, like a DACA recipient can be at the State of the Union. And so when you were there in D.C., were you able to tell your personal story and your family's story? And can you tell us a little bit about it here on CODCAST? Uh, so, yeah. So during the press conferences that I did with the congresswoman, I was able to share a little bit of my story. Um, so my mother is a TPS holder, um, and she works. She's been here since 2001, if I'm not mistaken. Um, she's worked for me and my sisters. She's worked hard to give us what we need, what we couldn't have, where we come from. And then I came here when I was nine years old. Uh, it was a very difficult process, uh, to say it like that. Uh, but I came here very young. So then, while I love El Salvador, is my home country, it will always be the place that I come from. I feel like the place that I know now is here. And so... Um, Thinking that I would have to change my life all over again is just something that I can't even imagine. But I feel like I've been blessed throughout my life here in this country because I've been able to go to one of the best high schools in Boston. I am now in college. I'm halfway through getting my BA. And um, and I feel like there's so much more that I can do. There's so much more that I want to do here. And you go to UMass Boston? Correct. I'm an international relations major. Oh, wow. And so, <clears throat> sorry, I have a frog in my throat. Um, Me too. So DACA <laughs> has been in the news in the past couple of years after Attorney General Jeff Sessions and Trump decided to rescind the 2012 program. Um, he went as far as to call the program unconstitutional. Now, this issue is really relevant to Massachusetts because we have 13,000 dreamers here who are eligible for the status in the state but aren't enrolled because the program ended. There's another 59 beneficiaries like Stephanie 
Um, and for TPS holders, I believe there's about 12,000 people in Massachusetts who have TPS. So in the past year and a half, I guess, Jose, starting with you, what experiences have you felt or what, what changes have you seen um, since, I guess, the Trump administration started adjusting policies? How, what have you felt in your own lives that have changed? Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can tell you. And, and I think, it, you know, like, I would like to, to start by telling you, like, uh, how long I have been uh, living in the United States. Yeah, you know, in my case, uh, I have been here for the last 20 years. I, I came when I was 22. Um, I have grown my family. I have four U.S. citizen kids. One is 18, one girl 14, a three-and-a-half baby boy, and a seven-month-old girl. So there is, there is a lot also that I have done here in Massachusetts, not only from working, but also contributing to the places where I live, including some time as a soccer coach, volunteering some, in volunteering in some other nonprofit organizations where I live, and, um, and you know, in helping in, in, in different other ways. But in 2017, when we learned that people from Haiti were told, you have six months to leave the country, People from El Salvador and some other countries with TPS, we knew that news was coming for us too. So, uh, you know, we decided to get to get, to get organized, and that's when uh, we actually um, started this group that is called the National TPS Alliance, which is the wow. one that has grown uh, from 2017 to now to have about 60 different uh, groups across the country. We have, uh, 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 you know, groups working in 20. 27 states at this specific moment. And also it was 2017 when many of us, when we knew the, you know, the, the, the news, instead of like getting quiet and nervous, we, we got organized. And that's how, you know, I co-founded the group that is called the Massachusetts TPS Committee, which is a, a group of TPS recipients uh, taking the lead and moving the legislation forward. So from 2017 to now, I can tell you that it has been very like a roller coaster trip you never know. Sometimes you are very excited that something can be achieved. There is another moment that you, you feel sad and you don't know exactly what's going to happen. But something that many of us have clear is that we have roots in our communities where we live here. We also know that there are people that, you know, appreciate what we bring to the communities where we live. And we also believe that if we get organized and the, enough support, we can continue living in the country. But for sure, this has been kind of like a big nightmare for people like myself that are really uh, looking to live here, but the, you know, the president at this specific moment is really showing his, uh, I think it's, you know, it's nothing to say that he has been showing racism in, in so many other different ways. Now, TPS and DACA have seemed to be used as a political bargaining chip on so many issues, um, and this new legislation sort of hits the reset button, and not only is it a dream act that helps DACA recipients, but additionally, um, it helps TPS recipients. Can either of you tell me a little bit about what you've learned about the uh, Promise Act so far um, and what your thoughts are? Stephanie, you want to go first? There you go. <laughs> okay. I can tell you that, you know, I feel that this, what is going on right now is an achievement from community organizations that have been working so hard and from Dream Act recipients who have been willing to share these stories, from TPS recipients that instead of getting quiet are getting a little more even noisy and talking about our contribution to this country. We also believe and we are afraid that we can continue being the 
I, I love soccer, so I will say like the soccer ball that is always kicked around during electoral season, but then things start getting settled again, and we continue in the same reality that we have been living. So uh, there has been an intention for the last more than 30 years to try to get comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, we actually failed, and I can say we, uh, I was organizing in 2010, when we failed in Congress during democratic control. The House, the Senate, and the President, and the DREAM Act failed. So there is some of us who feel we are going in the right direction, but we still have a long way to go to see that proposal, that bill, becoming mm -hmm. a law. Now, will, be, will adding TPS to this help the cause, or will it make it more complicated, and how can those hurdles be jumped over? I mean, for me, I'll talk about like my first impression on the act that they're trying to pass. Obviously, it's very, well, I want to get excited and hopeful. It's very hard to do that because you never know, like he was saying, what's going to happen. It could be that it's going to die down and they're not going to end up doing anything, but I feel like it's, again, like you said, it's starting over. Maybe it'll lead to something. Maybe it won't get passed fully, but at least some parts of it will, or it'll start a conversation again that I think that communities, um, community groups can also keep fighting to keep that conversation alive. Um, but I think that, like you were saying, t adding TPS, um, just because it, TPS holders are kind of looked as less than dreamers, I would say, or DACA recipients, just because they're the older generation. But um, we've had I've had conversations before with other dreamers that, in talking this way, dreamers, the real dreamers, the first dreamers are our parents. For me, the real dreamer is my parent. My parent was the first one that came here. I'm here because of my parents. So then I feel like it is going to make it more difficult just because dreamers are seen or DACA recipients are seen as, like, the younger people, like, the people that have more to give. Like, the TPS holders are older, so they're, like, done in a way. That's what they say. So it might make it more difficult. But I feel like, um, unlike other acts that have been tried to get passed, I feel like this includes families. This is more like a family act because it's not just about DACA or TPS. It includes both. Yeah, I notice it's sort of uh, there's a description of families as multi-status families. Um, some parents having TPS, some parent kids having DACA. So under the legislation, just to give it a little context, TPS and other recipients who've had their status as of September 25th, 2016, could see permanent residency as long as they've lived in the United States for three years. Um, and there are some other additions to the bill, um, like, for instance, assistance with uh, financial aid, acquiring in-state tuition, and helping people not have some of their background information from applying to DACA or TPS be provided to the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, Jose, I was wondering, do you have any thoughts on if this legislation has a possibility of passing. I know you had mentioned in 2010 it just failed. And now we have a completely different president and a completely different atmosphere. How do you think it could possibly pass, even if it makes, the ha through, make it, makes it through the House, um, instead goes through the Senate? Yeah, yeah, this is one of those things. And I, you know, I would like to start by mentioning that I strongly believe that the idea of merging uh, DREAM Act 
uh, TPS and actually DED is also included, which many people don't talk about, but is the Defer Enforcement Departure, which is uh, Liberia. Liberia. Liberia, yes. I pronounce it in my Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Liberia is a, is a country that has DED. And by the way, it's going to end it in March 31st, unless Congress or the president does something to protect that community. There are about 4,000 people across the country it's protected by kind DED. Of status. Yeah, so this legislation is trying to address uh, those three different programs. I believe is the right way to go because all those programs uh, have similarities, like one, are quote-unquote temporary, even though librarians, some of them has been moved from TPS to DED for the last 25 years. Um, then you have TPS. It's a temporary program that many people have had for the last 20 years. And then you have DACA that was given back in 2012 uh, because of the organizing. Um, so there, are another, there is one more similarity. Both of the, in, in the case of DACA and TPS, both of them are in court. So I think the idea of passing a legislation to kind of like correct both uh, programs and provide those protected by those programs the opportunity to apply for permanent residency is the way to go. It is unfortunate the way that politics is working in Washington, D.C. right now. I feel confident that this legislation, the way it is, it can pass in the House of Representatives, but it has very slightly uh, possibilities in the Senate. And I, and I say slightly because I don't want to be that pessimist. <laughs> but the reality is that there is no way the way this legislation is written is going to pass in the Senate. Unless, unless people really think about the humanity and the contribution of people protected by TPS and DACA, and they put the political parties to the side and really focus on the humanity of people that are protected. If they do that, they may find a way to move it into the legislation. What's going to happen with the president? You know, I, I have been asked, what do you think about the president? I said, let's get it through the Congress, and then we will see what the president will do. But I think the big challenge right now is how to move that legislation in the Senate. Mm -hmm. I feel motivated. I think <laughs> it's the right way to go. I, uh, you know, we need to do a lot of way, a lot of more work right. to make it to make it reality. And so in the past, the former versions of the DREAM Act, the very first one was actually introduced by Orrin Hatch, um, which who, who was a Republican. It was actually a bipartisan effort, and it's become quite politicized over the past 18 years. Recently, the Republican made uh, some comments saying that, you know, it's an important issue, and I think it was to USA Today, and that it would be something they would assess not committing to actually vote either way or to even vote. So I know you had mentioned, uh, Jose, some of the federal court situations and even potential for Supreme Court involvement on a couple of these issues. In February, um, the Department of Homeland Security said it would comply with a federal court order to extend TPS to January 2020. What does this mean for the 250,000 immigrants facing deportation? And Stephanie, we'll, we'll also get to DACA because there's also those deadlines as well. Yeah. So since the beginning of the National TPS Alliance, we always thought to, you know, try to protect the community in a few different ways. Uh, the permanent protections can be provided only by Congress. We need to pass a legislation to provide permanent uh, protection uh, for people with TPS, and in this case also for DACA, but for TPS specifically. So we decided that 
you know, to sue the government because we thought that the motivation to end TPS was no that our countries are so great that we can go back. And instead, there are some other, including racism, was one of the uh, reasons why, why we decided uh, to introduce uh, this lawsuit in San Francisco. Um, at least right now, we are protected down to all the way down to January 2nd. Uh, mm -hmm. It's protected Nicaragua, Salvadorians, um, uh, Sudanese, and, uh, and Haitians. Yes. And now, because of the second lawsuit that we actually introduced a few weeks ago in San Francisco, the government has agreed to also protect Nepalese and Hondurians uh, right now. So now all six countries are kind of like a playing with the same uh, deadline. So every country, everyone is protected all the way down to January 2nd. I think it just provides a little bit of air to breathe a little bit more, but we also continue understanding that this is urgent. Mm -hmm. Congress should act as soon as possible to avoid an emergency that can happen, the, a real emergency that can happen with our families. And uh, that's why we are taking in the right, you know, we feel that it's, it came in the right moment, but we still need to continue working because there are some of the consequences that are happening because of the whole uh, roller coaster trip that people with TPS are going on right now. And Stephanie, what kind of urgency do you feel for DACA recipients? Like I've said before, I can, I feel like it's very difficult and I just want those who are able to impact legislation to think that I cannot keep living my life on a date. Like on a certain date, my status is going to end. So it's like, what is going to happen after I graduate from college in two years? It's like, am I going to be able to get a job with that degree? So I feel like there's an urgency for me to be able to live my life in a way that I can see in far into the future instead of living my life two years at a time. And what would happen if DACA ended at a date for you the next day you wake up and would you be losing a social security number or what kind of impact would it have on you immediately immediately I feel like um it's happened to my sister it's she wants to move from the job that she's in right now but she can't because she was not able to get her work her work authorization card so if my status expires it's am I going to be able to continue working again I'm in school and as I get older I can't only rely on my parents to provide for me I have to be able to provide for myself so if my status ends on a certain day it's again what am I going to do now because I need an authorization card to work I guess for each of you, what is your last-minute um, pitch for why people in Massachusetts should care about this? And uh, what kind of prospect do you see in the near future for getting this, not just through the House, but also the Senate, as we conclude? I would guess my pitch would be um, DREAMers and TPS holders, they and DED holders, they walk right next to you. We go to school with your children. We're no different. We work the same. We want to accomplish the same. Just see us as people. We're not a status. We're not a piece of paper. We're people. So that's, I think that would be my pitch. Think of as a, again, the humanitarian humanitarian part of it. I'm a human. You're a human. Just let's watch out for each other. Let's be that type of community, not a community that puts me or someone else down because of a piece of paper or a status. Yeah, and I think, you know, I will definitely ask everyone to see uh, people, um, like Stephanie said, from the humanitarian part, and also to see the contribution that this community has been uh, putting in the communities where we live, not only from the economic side, but also on the social side. Uh, many TPS recipients are part of your church. 
many TPS recipients and DACA recipients are taking care of your grandparents in many nursing homes. I know Haitians work a lot on nursing homes. I know many TPS recipients are cleaning your yards during the summer, making your house looks beautiful. And many I take are taking care of your children. Or also, there are TPS recipients taking care of the hospitals where you go. So I think people really need to see the contribution and how these communities are inserted in the communities where we live, and instead of seeing it from the political point of view or the or, or, or from the political sides that people are part of. In order to find a solution, Democrats and Republicans will need to come together uh, to find a permanent solution. And so this act is on everyone's radar. It's the Dream and Promise Act. There was a huge uh, press conference yesterday in front of the J.F. Kennedy Federal Building in Boston in which immigration reform advocates and Representative Catherine Clark, uh, Jim McGovern, uh, Senator Ed Markey and Mayor Marty Walsh all spoke in favor of the Dream and Promise Act. And I guess right now it will be up to the Senate and Congress to make the next steps before these deadlines. I'm Sarah Betancourt with Commonwealth Magazine, and I'm here with Jose Palma and Stephanie Pineda. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me.